Welcome to the Sit Stay Podcast. This episode is all about the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah, where Julia is recording her part of the podcast this week. To learn more about Best Friends, visit bestfriends.org and the Facebook page. Also, check out The Power of Joy in Giving to Animals by Linda Harper and Faith Maloney. Faith Maloney is a co-founder of Best Friends and is our guest in this week's show. I'm Brad Hill. And I'm Julia McClung. Hi, Julia. Hi, Brad. We are remote from each other. I know. First time. This is a first. Welcome to Kanab. Ah, it's wonderful here. There's a big white K on the side of the mountain. The weather is beautiful. Monsoon season has come a little bit early. It's cool and lovely and breezy and cloudy outside. It's just perfect. Did you say there's a big K on a mountain? Yes. Every town has... Uh, because it's surrounded by mountains, there's always the first letter of the city in one giant initial on a mountain that's visible from wherever you are in town. Wow. Yeah. So you've been in the greater Kanab metropolitan area for a few <laughs> days. You got there three days ago, I think. For your, I did. Your annual pilgrimage to the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary, the biggest uh, no-kill animal shelter slash sanctuary in the country for your annual working vacation, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's I count down the days starting at 365 until the next the next visit rolls around. I'm lucky to work for a company that gives me volunteer time off. So mm -hmm. it does get to be sort of a, a working vacation. Uh, I get paid for the time that I'm here because I work for a very generous company who supports community outreach and I, this is where I spend my full 40 hours. I come, in fact, this year I'm spending more than that. I did, I, I flew out late Wednesday night with a cat. Mm -hmm. So big boy and I traveled the whole great country together, and he was a perfect <laughs> angel. Well, we are really living up to the name of our show, Sit Stay Podcast, because it's all about animals for, the, for this episode and the next one. So today we have a conversation with one of the best friend's founders, Faith Maloney, and you set this up, and we had a wonderful talk with her. You know, as we're talking, I think I hear the jangling <laughs> <laughs> of a dog tag, and you have a best friend's dog from Dogtown in your room, don't you? I do. I do. He's a beautiful 13-year-old pit bull mix named Bowser, and he looks very much like Vince. He looks like a tiny, tiny version of Vince that I adopted from Best Friends two years ago. Uh -huh. So you're spending time in Dogtown, the famous Dogtown, which is a portion of the Best Friends Sanctuary. And National Geographic did an entire series of Dogtown episodes, uh, which people, by the way, can watch on Amazon Prime if they are Prime members. And... Um, so uh, say some things about Dogtown. I mean, I think everybody who's aware of Best Friends and is a dog lover regards Dogtown as, you know, a mecca, a sanctuary, just one of the most wonderful spots on earth. Is it? It is maybe the most wonderful spot on earth. I, there is no place that I've ever been anywhere in the world where I feel as peaceful, as calm, as patient 
patient with myself and with the planet as I feel when I'm at Dogtown. I've had the opportunity to work and and at lots of different areas on the sanctuary. I mean, every area of the sanctuary, I feel like that. Whatever work I'm doing with whatever animal I'm working with, because dogs are my special love, that is where I spend the majority of my time. To be clear about best friends, in case people don't know this, it is a sanctuary of last resort, and animals who live at Best Friends are uh, welcome to spend the rest of their lives there if they're not adopted. That's the worst outcome for any animal at Best Friends, is that they are cared for, made comfortable, and loved for the rest of their lives. <laughs> That's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking in such a wonderful way. Mm-hmm. And not only that, once an animal crosses that property line onto Best Friends... If they ever leave, they always can come home. Well, it's a thrill for us, uh, for you especially, because you've been so involved in Best Friends for years, and for me, because I've known about Best Friends and am completely heart, mind, and spirit aligned with the mission. And for our program, which is our dog-themed sit-stay podcast, to be able to speak with the founders. So is it time? Shall we listen to our conversation with Faith? It's time. Okay, here we go. We're speaking today with Faith Maloney, a co-founder of the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah. Best Friends is the largest no-kill animal shelter in the country and the national voice advocating for the no-kill movement. Julia is in Kanab for her annual pilgrimage and work vacation at Best Friends. I'm connecting with Faith and Julia through Skype. Hi, Brad. Hi, Julia. Hi, Brad. Hello, Faith. Thanks so much for joining us. A great pleasure. Yes, I, I want to thank you not just for taking the time to do this interview um, and not just for creating the sanctuary for the animals, but creating the sanctuary for all the volunteers, the thousands of volunteers that return here year after year to replenish our souls. So I personally and deeply appreciate every, every chance I have to be here. Thank so, you for saying that. Thank that you. That is wonderful. And we couldn't do it without our volunteers. So thank you. I, I can't accept thanks. It does too much for me. It really does do too, too much for me. I think people don't understand. When I say that I'm coming to Best Friends, they don't understand the enormity of of what the sanctuary is here at Kanab. Can you tell us a little bit about the size of the space and the person power that's involved in, in making this work? I think just about everybody who comes here for the first time says the same thing. They had no idea it was this big. Mm -hmm. Um, We originally, our original purchase back in 1984 was just a little over 3,000 acres. That was the the plot that was available. Um, It had very poor water rights, so it really couldn't be sold for anything other than one big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And because it couldn't be Um, sold for commercial development or cattle uh, ranching, it was scenery. It was a white elephant. Mm -hmm. And it was going for extremely cheap money at that time. Nice. I mean, no one can believe it, but it was. It was a few hundred dollars an acre. Wow. I know. So we were able to get the whole whole 
bit of it. I mean, it was being sold in one bit. We've since added a few uh, acres we needed to, uh, state land that was going to be sold for the school, so we added that in. Mm -hmm. So we have around 3,700 acres as property now, but we used just a little over 300 of them for the sanctuary. Oh, really? Yeah, I know. Um, but all that 300 isn't in one blob. Right. Um, it, as you know mm -hmm. from being here, you, you need a car to get from A to B. Uh, Dogtown and horses are on the same piece of land and three miles distance. Right. Yeah. Cats and dogs are about a mile and a half from each other. So you need to have a vehicle to come here mm -hmm. to get around. Uh, it's, so it's big. It, and beautiful. And it is lovely. It is part of the Grand Canyon rock formation, you know, the red rock. Um, and uh, we have a creek that runs through and we have green trees. And it is very lovely, even though it's in the desert. There's one little park with a beautiful patch of grass over by, uh, overlooking the pond. I've been to an event there once. Oh, Angel's Landing. Yes, Angel's Landing. Angel's Landing. We did not put that in. That was in there before we acquired the property. The gentleman who was taking care of the property for the group that owned it um, used to do cookouts there, bus cookouts. Mm -hmm. So there a lot of people from New Jersey would come in there <laughs> and they'd have a cookout and they'd have cowboys singing and that kind of thing. <laughs> But the, the lawn, so he put the lawn in, and we've maintained it and kept it up. And we use it for a ton of things. Yes. I've we just had our all-staff meeting. We do that once a year. Mm -hmm. And we had, I think, at least 500 people up there. Wow. And we do weddings. We had one wedding, which I will never forget. The whole wedding was on horseback. Oh. <laughs> except for the people who were attending, obviously. The bride, the groom, the bridesmaids, the you know, they were all on horses. Mm -hmm. So it was really rather fun. Oh, that is fun. So I've walked the dogs it. up there yes. and it's nice to see them in the grass and some of them aren't quite sure about the grass and then but we need the nice. grass. And even our, uh, we have a little puppy park, mm -hmm. uh, you may have seen it, that has grass too, mm -hmm. because we adopt animals all over the country, and our animals are only used to peeing on sand. Right. So they don't know what grass is. So we like to have our animals ex have their feet on grass, so when they go to a home with grass, they know what They're to do with confused. it. They're not confused. Yes. Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> So people think of a shelter as, you know, primarily dogs and cats, mm -hmm. but that's not all that's here. No, we have, we started actually with, and we, we use the term sanctuary more than shelter, mm -hmm. um, although they're interchangeable really. Um, sanctuary being a, a place, uh, you know, a, a, a place of peace and and. If you have to stay here for all of your life, you mm -hmm. can do so, you know, mm -hmm. at one of those places. <clears throat> when we started here, we started with dogs and cats primarily, but we also started with rabbits. We had rabbits in our place in Arizona, which we had before we came here. Mm -hmm. um, so rabbits, one of our founders was very much into wildlife. She was a wildlife rehabber. And one of our uh, co-founders was into horses. So we actually had that as the, our starting animal base. Along with horses came, as time went on, came farm animals. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, some sheep. We just added four sheep. We'd adopted our other sheep. We have goats and we have pot-bellied pigs. And in our wildlife area, we added parrots, 
although they're a separate department because mm-hmm. they, they really can't live together. You right. know, they have to be taken care of separately. So those are the only two other pigs and parrots are the ones we've added in specifically. I love parrot, the, the parrot. Parrot garden, garden call it, yes. yes. Isn't it wonderful? It is wonderful. Oh. It's both loud and soothing at the same time, I which know. is funny. I don't know how that works. I, I love taking people through there when they're, they're saying, you know, people who are unused to parrots, and they'll say, I can't understand why people would give them up. <laughs> and I just pause, I just pause. And particularly if I take them in with the cockatoos, mm-hmm. the Moluccan cockatoos, and I even warn people, I say, we may have to get out of here rather fast. <laughs> and pretty much guaranteed, they're going to just make their normal sound, which is deafening. Yeah. I think it's a few decibels lower than a 747. Oh. Seriously, it's been measured. And so when people when I get people out of there, they say, oh, now we understand. Because <laughs> people acquire them maybe as, as little guys, right. unfortunately, from a pet store. And then they grow up, and they grow up into these loud machines. And they live a long time. It's the lifetime commitment. Yeah, the macaws, the biggest, what goes in size, the bigger you are, the longer your lifespan, which is unusual because in other animals it's the other way around. Dogs, yeah. I know, macaws have our lifespan, meaning some go into their hundreds, like us. Mm -hmm. Um, Your medium-sized parrot goes 50, 60, sometimes 70. And cockatiels, we place a lot of cockatiels because, as we tell people, they only live around 25 years. <laughs> and people who adopt dogs or cats yes, aren't looking are at 25, 25 years. years no. So even the littlest birds live longer than pretty much any other domestic animal. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I understand that now the animals here come from all over the world. What's the mm-hmm. furthest that a tra- animal has traveled to come to the sanctuary? I I believe the furthest might be Saudi Arabia. Wow. I know. And we've had a few. And people are very surprised. And then we remind them that there are a lot of uh, Americans that live in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> particularly in the oil industry. Mm-hmm. And usually that's where they're coming. I remember many, many, many years ago, our first cat from Saudi Arabia um, was a wonderful, wonderful looking cat. And he didn't look like your regular domestic American cat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he was somewhat, he was a big boy, not big in the exotic sense. He was still in the domestic cat range, but kind of tall, lean, but he had the most amazing meow. It was something from another planet. And when he first came to us, he was a kind of a bit lonely. He'd come with a bad rep. He'd mm-hmm. attacked the family, in fact. It was an American oh, family uh-huh. that lived in it. He came with the home, and then he attacked her. But she loved cats, and she didn't want anything bad to happen to him. So through her sister, who was in Salt Lake, they got the um, cat here. <clears throat> and so at first, we weren't sure how he was going to behave. So we had to observe that. So we um, we had him on his own just to see. Mm-hmm. And he would make this keening, keening sound. You could hear it all through the cat area. It was a sound we'd never heard before in our lives. And then we took in a whole bunch of other cats. So we had to say, sorry, you can't live on your own anymore. Right, you're going to have to be. You have to have a roommate. <laughs> so he, he acquired, he acquired a, a feral, a, a girl feral cat friend. Mm-hmm. And 
all that keening stopped. That oh, he stopped. just, that's all he wanted. All he, he wanted, wanted was, was a, a friend. friend. But the most amazing thing that someone observed him do one day, and she was very scared, so she would stay in the back. And someone actually saw him when the wet food came in, the canned food. He picked some up on his paw and took it to her. That just gave me goosebumps. Me too. I know. It was one of our volunteers, and she said, you won't believe what I just saw. So um, he he was from Saudi Arabia, and he was a wonderful... He lived here all his life because he was court mandated to stay here Mm -hmm. because the attack was pretty bad. Right. So we had agreed that we wouldn't adopt him. uh, (sighs) I know. And we've had a a few others from Saudi Arabia, but by the same route. Mm -hmm. We did do a particularly big rescue, though, from Lebanon. This is Which, of course, is in North Africa. Um, We were um, asked by a group, in fact, the only group in Beirut, um, who took care of, of stray animals. Um, they, they were in a war, you know, one of the unfortunately rather regular wars that go on between Israel and Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of good friends in Israel who have animal sanctuaries. And of course, the people who, who take care of animals don't care anything about politics. You know, they would have been more than happy to have helped out, but the border was closed. Right. So we ended up taking close to 300 dogs and cats from Lebanon and that was an adventure I can imagine you you can imagine getting them from there that all the health things hurdles that we had to cross and also we had to house them completely separately and we used one of our horse pastures you would have seen it um, being around the sanctuary the one next to the big white coverall oh yes yes Mm -hmm. that that field on to the side was actually the Lebanon rescue uh, isolation area so we set up yurts and we set up um, fencing, yurts for the cats, um, fencing for the dogs uh, until they'd gone through their quarantine. But we placed most of those. We still have some. You'll you'll hear some referred to, oh, that's a Lebanon kitty or that's a Lebanon dog. Yeah, so some are still here. Did they need to, did you need to learn Arabic to? Well, it would have been helpful. (laughs) You know, we we laugh about that with animals we take from foreign countries, that they have gotten used to, it could be Spanish Mm -hmm. and it could be Arabic and it could be German, it could be anything. So, uh, yes, it's it's kind of, but, but you know, food and most animals seem to work pretty fast. Yes. You know, they go, because really none of them come speaking English either. That's true. You know, we, That's true. We, they may have gotten used to English words like sit, mm-hmm. stay, uh, but they, um, you know, it, it's just that association right. that they get yeah, with food. So Faith, Best Friends has been involved, just like you were talking about, in many large-scale rescue Mm -hmm. um, efforts, Mm -hmm. such as Hurricane Katrina, which was tremendous. Mm -hmm. How do you mobilize to support those special rescues while continuing to manage the core operations? Since you asked, (laughs) what a good question. Not very well, as it turns out. We um, we got very involved with Katrina, as you know. We did. Um, we were down there about nine months. Uh, one of the I I'm, I do the workshops here um, with other colleagues. Uh, the How to Start and Run an Animal Sanctuary workshop, and one of our attendees, who was from the Louisiana area, had um, attended the workshop some years before Katrina hit. Um, and had gone back to her area and purchased 50 acres in Tylertown, Mississippi. 
So when the storm hit, as that's what the the locals call it, mm-hmm. the storm, the storm, the storm, uh, the storm. Um, we had one of our uh, staff at the time was a native of the area, and he went to check on his family. And I said to him, "Could you go check on the folks in Tylertown? Because that was where actually where the storm had hit most was on the Louisiana Mississippi border, mm-hmm. and so they in the path there." And so he went there, and they were in in desperate need. They had about 24 hours of water left. But he spotted that they had 50 acres. And so he said to them, would you be interested in us using your property as our staging area for when Mm -hmm. we bring in our rescue team? And they said, absolutely. Oh, wonderful. So we had a 50-acre access to not all of it, but to a lot of 50 acres for our staging area. And so we sent staff down there. We sent, you know, materials to, to create fencing and all that kind of thing. So it was a huge operation. We subsequently had another place in, in New Orleans as well. We called Cele- Celebration Station. Mm-hmm. And roughly around 6,000 animals went through our rescue at that time. And that was everything. Uh, that was spiders and snakes and, uh, you know, ev- every kind of rodent you can imagine. And every kind of animal that's a pet for someone, lizards and turtles. And yeah, I mean, and, I mean, you everything. don't think about that. Oh, like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we have one very, I have a little funny story about the spiders. Because one of my colleagues was a co-founder. She was kind of running it at the time. And someone had brought in a bunch of tarantulas. And so she said, oh, my goodness, these tarantulas, why have they got them in tubes? So she got them out of the tubes and she got them out onto a, you know, you know onto a flat land. And, you know, she thought she was doing the best thing. Thank goodness, it was only a few hours later, a spider expert who came in, who was one of the volunteers and said, why aren't they in tubes? And so we, there's something we didn't know that spiders, tarantulas eat Below, from you know, from above, uh-huh. so their food has to be underneath them, or they will. So we were oh my gosh! By, oh this, no. by liberating the spiders, we thought we were we were being so wonderful, you know, because these obviously these very cruel people had put them in tubes. Whereas <laughs> in fact, the people, so we hurriedly got them all back in tubes. <laughs> But it was a kind of an eye opener into every every animal has their expert, and, and we clearly were not the spider experts. I could imagine you've had several of those moments over the years as you get get new animals in that you just we you have don't to, know. We have to Google it now. We can Google it. But you guys, one of the things that I notice and I am amazed by every time I'm here is the way you come up with. A particular a dog has a particular way of getting out of something and so you find a creative way to fix that or a way to repurpose household items to be used <laughs> for these that. very specific purposes for for health care or for safety or for socialization it's amazing I, know. I, I just the creativity that goes into it is, yeah. is always amazing to me but back to that to your main question there about the uh, you know what that Katrina was mm-hmm. really our big, and it was very kind of intoxicating. I and mean, it was sad, very sad to see this number of animals that needed sanctuary. Mm-hmm. They needed a place to come. They needed help. 
before they could be reunited back, or maybe they could never be reunited back. Mm -hmm. So there was something quite, kind of accelerating, and a little bit like how it was for myself and my colleagues starting this. Oh. It was for our staff. It was kind of like beginning again. Right. You know, and, and, and many of them, the, the people that were involved in those rescues, had, been, had come into an already, in a sense, finished place, and were taking their place um, we'd already started right. it. You know, a lot of the aggravation of starting something had happened. So Katrina, for a lot of those, was like beginning again. Mm -hmm. So it had a certain kind of mm, exhilaration, as I said. So we felt kind of empowered that this is something that we should be doing. Uh -huh. And, uh, and in, at Katrina, we had to, we had a lot of people down there. So we had to have double shifts up here, you know, put a lot of strain on our existing staff. Right. But we went, you know, like soldier yes. up, you know, man up. <laughs> this is something we're doing. It's good stuff. It's good work. Uh, and so we, everyone went, okay, and took on extra work and extra hours and all that. So the next one that came our way was a bunny rescue in Reno, Nevada. The Reno which bunnies. By, by the time we'd finished with it, was 1,600 rabbits. Wow. And we also went there. You know, mm -hmm. We sent a team up there. Um, and then there was the, the upstate New York one, which was 600 animals from a hoarding case. And we sent people there. And then there was the Pahrump kitties, yeah. kitty rescue, the great kitty rescue, which was 800 cats, and we sent people there. By this time, there was screaming and howling at home base. Right. You know, we can't take it anymore. Mm. And really, in a way, um, it, was, it was not the right direction for best friends. Uh, our mission, our mission really has always been to stop the killing of animals in in, in our, city, our mm -hmm. nation's shelters. So it's no, to bring about a time when there are no more homeless pets, which is defined really mostly in the dog and cat world and the number of animals being killed in shelters. So doing all these wonderful things, wonderful though they are yes. and were for us and very um, enlightening, educational for, for our folks, really was taking us away from our mission. Mm -hmm. So we kind of made a, a, a full stop at that point um, after we'd done a few of these and kind of settled back in, got, got the staff back to um, you know a bit more peace here. Because it's a lot for uh, people to take on uh, jobs that other people, uh, yes, uh, they've left, yeah. they've gone away, and mm -hmm. I'm having to do two jobs. Yeah. So um, we, but what we did was we set up uh, an emergency response department and John Garcia who uh, some people might remember from the Dogtown TV show that we did mm -hmm. he was well featured in that he's the manager of that and he works with a team of volunteers who are all trained in all the skills you need for large rescue operations mm -hmm. and so um, when one of those calls comes in a lot changed after Katrina I mean Katrina was seminal for everyone. I mean, it was bad for people, bad for animals, yes. but it enabled some laws to be changed and the whole way in which uh, rescues, these big rescues are conducted has changed a lot now. It's a lot more control. <laughs> it was a bit the Wild West back then, <laughs> which was good. It was good and bad. Whereas now you get invited in. Mm -hmm. So we, for example, were very present at um, Hurricane Sandy in the New York area. Oh, yes, area. that was... Mm -hmm. We had teams of people up there 
under, but they were volunteers, all who'd been FEMA trained, all who knew and understood how to operate in those climates um, of rescue. So it didn't take from the sanctuary. So yeah, it, it was a great time that we did, and, I, and the people that did it still talk about it fondly. Yes. You know, it's a bit like the war. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I was in the war. <laughs> And in some ways, it was a bit like a war, particularly Katrina. Yeah, it was so it was so amazing and outstanding, uh, a horror, right, on all levels. But also say, a triumph, a triumph in in another way. Mm -hmm. And it got the law changed. People yeah. now can evacuate with their animals, which they couldn't. They before. couldn't. It was just oh, the footage was just oh, I, I know horrible yeah. so a lot changed and we were very happy to be part of that we were there for nine months from beginning to end mm -hmm. and because we had uh, staff who were had worked in the animal rescue world in new orleans we got in early we were in the boats you know that were when when it flooded mm -hmm. so uh, and some of the other groups were being held back but we we were in because we had the contacts <sighs> wonderful so yeah well, I so lots of animals are transported here. I had the honor on my trip here this time of transporting a cat from a shelter in West Virginia. And he is a beautiful, healthy, loving, person-centered cat who also happens to have a, a diagnosis of FIV positive, which is a diagnosis that carries a lot of stigma mm -hmm. with it. Can you tell us what FIV is and what it is not? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, FIV it stands for feline immunodeficiency virus, FIV. Okay. And it is a virus that's in all felines, including lions and tigers. It's a feline-specific virus. It's doesn't It's not in humans. It's not in any other species. It's feline-specific. Mm -hmm. um, it is um, a uh, thinking. I think it's a lentivirus. Uh, don't 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 uh, don't I, quote me. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are two kinds of viruses, and I do believe it is that lenti meaning slow growing virus. Mm -hmm. um, and so, what we see, what we've seen here, is that cats diagnosed with FIV do have some health issues, but mostly not. Statistically, okay. their lifespan is about the same as a non-infected cat. Interesting. What it isn't, and this is one of my little soap, soapbox moments, is kitty AIDS. Some of your listeners may have heard yep. of that, heard it, mentioned that. I have been known, I'm not a veterinarian, my son is, but I'm not, um, I have been known to take veterinarians in hand when that when they say it and say no that's not true it absolutely isn't true because in the human population hiv at its final stages goes into what is known as aids mm -hmm. fiv never goes into an aids like condition so it really isn't, isn't. and what it conveys particularly to some of us who are older 
when AIDS was first diagnosed, and I'm sure many, many people listening will remember the images from hospitals yes. and people, you know, mm -hmm. it, it was it was a death sentence. Now, of course, thank goodness, with medication, early diagnosis, it's not. It's a managed disease. Now. Right. Whereas back then, it was a death sentence. So you put that on a cat, you say, oh, it has kitty AIDS. What's the image that comes to mind? Someone that's dying. Yeah, on a death sentence exactly. and wildly expensive treatment yeah, and all of these exactly. deterioration. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And so we we really stamp it out. Um, gentleman once asked me to do a like a little blurb on his book, mm -hmm. which was entitled Kitty AIDS. And oh, I had to write gosh. back to him and oh, said, no. if you had titled your book, Feline immunodeficiency uh, virus, we could be talking business. But because you've called it that, there's no way I can be associated right. with that. Because that is so wrong. Right. It's wrong on A, medically, and it's wrong because of the image it creates. This right. cat is not dying. Mm -hmm. As I said, statistically, they really do live about the, the same length of time as a regular non-infected cat. Um, and so they do, just to be fair, they do have a weakened immune system. And so we do see mouth issues. There's, okay. there's no question about that. We do a lot more dental work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes um, FIV cats do require to have all their teeth removed. Um, which I've heard is not, not uncommon and not a big deal, they which I didn't they, know. I learned they, that I know, they, this trip. They, they don't, uh, people assume because um, kibble, kitty kibble comes in kind of star shapes and all kinds of square shapes, mm -hmm. that kitties are chewing it. Kitties do not chew food. They sort of throw it back. Uh -huh. They stick it in their mouth and back oh. it goes. There is minimal amounts of chewing. They have developed some cat treats that maybe do require the cat to kind of chomp on it a bit more. Mm -hmm. But mostly the instinct of most cats is gobble, shove back. Uh -huh. So um, teeth are completely... We've seen cats that have had, we give them um, wet food, soft food mm -hmm. after they've had dental surgery. After a while, you come back in the room and they're, they're kind of like, they're right in the kibble bowl. Again. <laughs> because this is not an issue for them. Um, so this is, this is really one of the things we see with FIV. Pretty much, and, and, we, and we're careful, you know, we're mm -hmm. watching because um, any um, immune problem, you know, we try to keep stress low. Uh, good quality food um, so that the cats, so their immune system, right, to because they could be it. more susceptible to upper respiratory, you know, the kind of things that go around. Mm -hmm. It's the same for any animal, including us. If we have a weakened immune system, we're going to be more vulnerable. Right. So we kind of watch it, but we adopt um, uh, feline, uh, FIV cats to uh, families with other cats mm -hmm. if they understand especially if they've been neutered it's how it's contracted is deep penetrating blood to blood bite wounds okay or sex okay there has to be blood to blood which is why it has the slight similarity to hiv uh, my i mentioned my son is a veterinarian and one time i was saying to someone FIV is similar to hiv mm -hmm. you know, in that in the transmission mm -hmm. and he's standing there and he's going Hmm, not really. <laughs> so if you're actually talking with a real veterinarian, they will tell you a lot of differences. 
but the transmission point is accurate. It's blood to blood. So when you have a neutered cat, and a lot of FIVs are male. Was your kitty male yes, that you brought? Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's most common. Um, then you've reduced the need for fighting because their their testosterone is gone. Right. So they're not fighting over the, the over the ladies or even over the food. So um, I had my cattery. I've had a. a, a Catteries at different times here with with special needs cats, and I had several FIV cats in my group of other cats, and they were tested on a couple of different occasions. Mm -hmm. No transmission. So people should feel comfortable adopting Absolutely. FIV positive. Yeah, that cats. was a long way to get to that. That's but yes, no. That's that's, the, <laughs> I, I, that's all. I wanted all of that information, and Good. that's that was new to me. I came in when. A, when I brought him, I was suffering under the same myths. And so um, I was glad to learn that yesterday mm -hmm. because I, I felt sad for him. But I don't need to feel sad no. for him. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Yes. And there's probably someone will come along and adopt yes, him. Because, absolutely. again, a lot of the people that come here become educated. Mm -hmm. And they go, I can handle that. Right. I can deal with that. You know, as I said, there's still some things you have to be aware of. But, but not every big deal, yeah, not big deal. Everybody stuff. has something going it's, on. It's, you got it. Yeah, you, you just have to spend a little more on the food, maybe. Yeah, you know, get better quality food. But yeah, excellent. Good. So, Faith, two years ago, I adopted a big, beautiful, mm. my big head boyfriend pit bull named Vince from the sanctuary, and uh, he joins me and my other male pit bull who is a rescue and they now live happily together and they enjoy each other's company they wrestle they snuggle they do everything that two dogs are supposed to do and fortunately i do not live in a city that has breed specific legislation but there are a lot of cities that have bsl laws why does BSL exist and does it work? And I say work in air yes, quotes. Yes, exactly. Um, it, it's all based on fear. And, you know, again, being fair, there are, uh, there are dogs out there that hurt people. Mm -hmm. um, dogs really of every breed. One time, uh, and it was a few years ago, I haven't seen the updated list, but uh, some years ago, the pit bull was number eight on the bite list. Mm -hmm. German shepherds were, I think, at the top. Yes. So, you know, it, it's not that they they really are at the top of every list. It's just they have a bad rap. Right. Um, and people then make that assumption. Um, all dog bites are, are not good and usually can be traced to uh, incompetent owners and people that are taking care of the animals, mm -hmm. um, whether that's a Chihuahua, a Cocker Spaniel, I mean, those are oh. the other two big, mm -hmm. big ones, um, or really any kind of dog, a Husky, a, you know, whatever. So um, tracking uh, how bites occur leads you really to uh, people who aren't taking care of them. But a, an easy way, I think, for authorities to kind of satisfy the, the voting public is to pin it on this particular type of dog. Mm -hmm. Pitbull and Pitbull-type terriers are the ones that get the, you know, get the label. Right. Um, and it's not that some of them haven't done things. I'm not going to be sitting here no, and saying yeah. no, that, you know, there's no reason for that. Um, 
but they're not the only ones that bite or hurt or even do worse to people. Uh, so why aren't we then, you know, looking at banning some of those as well? Mm-hmm. But no, we, we pick something and then it satisfies the public. Um, but what is the problem with that is it leads people into a false sense of security because then they're not really addressing the real right. issue, which is, um, in our language, is is generally vicious dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, those need to be related to definitely. Authorities need to be, whether that dog is a Cocker Spaniel, a Husky, a Great Dane, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a Vigla, you know, you name a, a breed of dog. Uh, something has happened. Golden. Right. I had a golden All retriever of, yes. here. I mean, everyone thinks golden retrievers are perfect. I took one here many years ago, and his last crime was knocking down a kid on crutches. You know, uh-huh. so so you can really yeah. have bad dogs in any, in any kind breed. of breed or mix. Mm-hmm. And so the law should address that, not pick on a breed. Right. And that's why we fight breed-specific legislation wherever it is. And I'm going to tell you something very interesting. One of the ways we've been able to do that, we have a legal team that works on this full time. Mm -hmm. This is all they do. Good. Oh, yes. Um, Is, and some people, uh, animal lovers often find this thing, this, what I'm going to say now, a little distressing, but let's look at it from another angle. When you say to an animal lover, isn't it sad that animals are seen as property? And they nod and they Mm -hmm. say, yes, Yes. isn't that bad? Uh Uh-huh. In this respect, it's actually how we've managed to get the laws changed. Of course, because I... That dog is the same. Your dogs are really equivalent in the law as your recliner and your dining table. Yes, and my car, if I run over someone. Your car is, you know, property. Yes. And um, I'll tell you a little funny thing on this because we managed to get the law changed in Salt Lake City. I I think it was Salt Lake specifically. And the gentleman who was going to present to the the legislature um, fell ill and he had to drop out. And the only other person that they could find to present the bill was this lady who had a terrible record on animal issues. You know, she had always voted mm. on the wrong side of, of yes. animal-loving people issues. So uh, when she stood there before the legislature, she said to all of them, she said, you all know me. You know I am not pro-animal. However, this is a property rights issue. No one should be telling people what they should or shouldn't own. And that includes their dogs. Oh, my gosh. She ended up being the perfect, the perfect. absolute perfect because, spokesperson. Because had it been the gentleman who yes. was pro-animal. They could dismiss people, him. Yeah. yeah. So it passed, I think, with only one nay. You know, the, oh, what yeah. a terrific, what a brilliant And that was our approach. legal team came up with that. And work on that now around the country. Because that is true. Um, I mean, if you're going to 
as some people mind that animals are seen as property, mm -hmm. but as I say, in this, yeah, in this embrace context, it. Embrace, embrace it. it. Mm -hmm. In this context, it actually has assisted us in being able to overturn these breed specific laws. Oh, I think that's true. And we're still working on it. Well, we work on it everywhere it comes up. And we have, and our team goes in there, they, they're even thinking of doing it, you know, for community, because they're obviously in touch with everything. Mm -hmm. If they think someone's going to do it, they come in and address these, the authorities. They, they tell them how much it's going to cost. You know, that's another big yeah. factor to round up all the pit bulls and pit bull types. One thing that I would highly recommend anyone that's listening to do is Google the pit bull game. It'll pull it up. It's a series of images and you're asked as the viewer to pick out the one American pit bull terrier in that list of dogs. There's all pictures of dogs. The only reason I can do it is because I've remembered the number of the dog, you know, which number he is in the group. Um, every time I see it, I think, which one is it? Oh, I remember it's not. I'm not going to tell you the number. Um, but that is how hard it is to actually identify mm -hmm. a pit bull terrier. And if so they switch the dogs, number, you'll you'll fail I, I'm, again. I'm lost. I'm lost. <laughs> Because we've known animal control people identify boxes as pit bulls yep. or even Boston Terriers mm -hmm. as pit bulls. You know, I mean, it really is that hard. But unfortunately, um, it's in the if the law isn't right, it's in the hands of people who don't know what a pit bull yes. really is right. or pit bull terrier. Um, and it can be very devastating to families, as it was in Denver, for example, oh, when, yeah. they, when they came in and, and, and just, pronounced yeah. that. It's so, tragic. So there's a few places that we're working on trying to get those those laws changed. Good. So that's my pitbull. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for your work on that as a pitbull <laughs> lover. That's one yes. of our big initiatives is that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. I want to be respectful of your time, um, and I, I definitely have gone gone over, Brad, but I want to give you an opportunity to, to ask some of your questions. Well, thank you. I'll ask one question if Faith does have time. Yes, certainly. Faith, people who love dogs and other animals suffer sadness along with the joy of companionship with animals. And I say dogs because I'm primarily involved with dogs, but dogs and all animals. And the sadness can come into play because so much is wrong with how animals are treated, as you've been discussing. Your life work is saving animals, and I imagine you must experience intensified joy and intensified sadness every day. And I'm curious about the balance here. So if it's all right with you, I'll ask it like this. Do you laugh more or cry more? Very good question, Brad. And I know that you were not even aware of this, so um, uh, uh, I co-present here at the uh, Sanctuary a workshop or a retreat called the Giving Heart Retreat, Replenishing the Animal Lover's Soul. So I work a lot with people who are in burnout, who are in grief, um, very much the, the as you were presenting there. And I co-present with a psychologist friend of mine, she's from Chicago, Dr. Linda Harper. And um, just at the end of last year, we brought out a book called The Power of Joy in Giving to Animals. And it really addresses everything that you're talking about on how 
how to do this in a joyful way without becoming so depressed and burned out that you have to quit. Mm -hmm. So uh, that book's out there and available, <laughs> The Power of Joy in Giving to Animals. Um, but that is uh, a huge, huge topic that I've been addressing really for many, many years here with the people that come in to work for in animal rescue. It can be so overwhelming, uh, especially now I feel with social media. I think this is one of the things I, I feel kind of in a way lucky that when we first started Best Friends, there wasn't an internet or the social media available in the way it is mm -hmm. now because people are bombarded with the horror stories every single day, you know, through their Facebook page, through their, um, you know, other forms of social media and become totally overwhelmed mm -hmm. and unable to cope. So this is something that I've been addressing. We're about to have a conference in Atlanta in July. Now I want to go. I know, and they they have. I present every year, Linda and I do, on creating balance in your life. That's our topic, and uh, they put us on the day before the conference uh, this year. We normally are one of the breakout sessions, but they thought, you know, let's see how it goes there. Brad, we have six hundred people <gasps> signed up to take that. I know, I know, um, I know. We're we're working very hard to get our PowerPoint. Oh my. <laughs> Oh, because normally, I mean, I think the most we normally have is like 150, 200 max when we're a breakout session. But they put us as un we're unopposed. So we are we have got 600 people signed up. I think the room only holds 585. So it's going to be standing room. But these are all people who are looking to the title is how to create more balance in your life. Mm -hmm. Because we, we want people to laugh more. To be sad, you, you can't not be sad, but you can't do this work if you're sad all the time. And if you're sad all the time, you eventually, uh, it affects your family, and yes. we've seen that happen. You know, we've seen pa people whose families break up over their animal work because they become so obsessed and passionate about it, which mm -hmm. is good on the one hand, but you need your family. So we're looking at always trying to create the balance uh, I think it's wonderful. That. And that's a positive, one of the things that I love about Best Friends and the way that, that you handle media and marketing is it's always positive. Mm -hmm. It's never shock value. Yeah. It's never, it never feels manipulative. It always feels joyful and, mm -hmm. and building a connection with donors and volunteers. And the reason we did that right from the start, we've always been that way, is because we couldn't handle yeah. the shock value all the time. It's not that we don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we do. It's what we work with all the time. But when you, when you keep hammering it just on the negative, um, eventually your brain turns off. Yeah, you become you just, paralyzed. You, you just, just, you feel helpless. There's nothing and, I can yeah, do. Exactly. So we have always emphasized the positive, you know, the success, the joy. Uh, and, and joy, Brad, you use the word joy. That is the word that we use in our book, mm -hmm. um, is there is tremendous joy in doing this work. And we want to focus on that um, and help you handle and cope with the with the sadness, which is there too. Yeah. yeah. Well, Faith, Faith, 
You have certainly brought me much joy, and Dogtown is going to bring me joy uh, every day this week. So thank you for that, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. I really appreciate it. Great pleasure. Thank you, and thank you, Brad. Well, that was wonderful. Is Faith British? Faith is British. I want to play that Pitbull game she mentioned. (laughs) Yes. Would you like to play it now? All right. Let's play it. I'm at the site. Okay. You're at the site. Do you want to read out? Here's what the site says. Only one of the pictures below features the real American Pitbull Terrier, and there are 30 pictures on the website page. Take the test to see if you can find it, it says. To find a breed of a dog, you click on the image. All right, so uh, there are 30 pictures here. Have you played this page before? In fact, I've taken it over the last five or six years, and I always fail it the first time. All right, here's how listeners can play along with us. Here's the URL. We made a special URL. I'll read it off. It's not hard. Just copy it down or type it into your browser. It is tiny dot cc slash find pit and find pit is one word tiny dot cc slash find pit and you should get to this page with 30 dog pictures all right and you should you should either tweet us or post on our facebook page and let us know how you did yes absolutely okay so my first result it's not a pit bull it's a black black mouth cur <laughs> that's that's the breed sure. I selected. All right, there are a lot of pit bull candidates here. I mean, I they've, know. they've made a good selection of pictures, most of which could possibly be mistaken for pit bulls. All right, I am now making my first choice, and it is a valley bulldog. I'm the board goes back, as that old game show used to say, and I'm keeping score now for us. Okay. Okay, so yeah. I made my second choice yes. already uh-huh. while you were choosing, and mine was also a Valley Bulldog. It's funny how every dog bite, every mishap that happens is always uh, attributed to a pit bull, isn't it? That's right. Who and the hell knows what a pit bull is? Yeah, that's that's the main point of this game, I guess, yep. is to address pit bull prejudice based on appearance. Because the media loves to build up around, it's very difficult to say some random dog bit someone. It's much more sensational to say another pit bull attack and Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So I just picked an old English bulldog. Okay. I still haven't found the pity. That's your third pick. And I choose, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Borbol. Do you know that breed, Julia? No, I don't. It's spelled B O E R B O E L. Borbol. Jeez. Apparently, to me, also, the Borbol is uh, a confusing. So Did that's what I just picked you just again. Picked it? Are you yep. stalking me? You're stalking my choices. <laughs> it was when I hacked into your computer last week. <laughs> That's right. I, I see every keystroke you make. All right. Uh, please do, please do. <laughs> I'm glad you're keep, cool with that. <laughs> keep that record for me in case I ever need to backtrack. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, should, we keep, should we keep this? Is going to be this is getting a bit tedious, I think, to listen to. Um, yeah, but I. But, but I hope just, some listeners are playing along too. But I, I do want to find the pistol in this. <laughs> I know. 
Uh, anyway, it's tiny.cc slash findpit. And tell us how you did. You can write us at you at sitstay.us. See how that works? You at us. You at sitstay.us. Or you use a comment on our Facebook page or tweet us. Well, Bowser thinks we should bring this to a close, and we probably should. We had a wonderful conversation with Faith Maloney, one of the founders of Best Friends Animal Sanctuary. And in our next episode, we will have a conversation with another founder. And in the meantime, some updates from you about uh, how your day went and uh, what you're learning during your pilgrimage and work vacation at Best Friends. I learn something about myself and the world every day. Well, until next time then, goodbye, Julia. Goodbye, Brad. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit bestfriends.org to learn more about how to volunteer, donate, and adopt. Find them on Facebook to get a daily dose of adorable. And definitely read Best Friends, the true story of the world's most beloved animal sanctuary to learn more about the sanctuary's amazing genesis. And also, you can learn how to find your own joy in the power of joy in giving to animals, both available on Amazon. (laughs) 